Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. They have to understand I chose to to stay in my country because I'm French. And And the Bernabeu blinks it back. And I've got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Welcome to House of Champions, YouTube friends, dropping your comments and questions in the chat and make sure you smash the like and subscribe button as we review the action from today's World Cup with a round of 16 getting underway. With us today in the house, Nigel Rio Coker. He's back from vacation. He's brought his boat shirt with him. He is also a champion. And guess who's with us? Heath Pierce. Welcome. Golf clap for Heath Pierce, everybody. There you go. <laughs> Nigel Rio Coker, how are you doing, buddy? Great. Really great. Surprised you're not wearing your USA shirt, mate. Just wanted to know why you're not wearing your USA shirt, Ian. Hey, hey, Nigel, back off. He's in mourning, man. He's we're wearing, we're, he's wearing oh, black. Yeah, he should be wearing black, black but I haven't true. been home yet. You know, there's my funeral clothes in case you couldn't tell here. HP, I know you're disappointed, but it's uh, it's been pretty awesome to see the U.S. get to this stage. At the end of the day, the, the round of 16 is underway, and it was pretty exciting watching the U.S. boys play today. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was exciting. I know we're going to get to, to the U.S. game at some point down the line, but um, yeah, just com- outclassed in every way. I think we the U.S. showed things that I don't think they showed um, throughout the group stages and then to get to this round. I think it's an eye-opener for them of where they need to be able to get to if they want to be able to go on a deep run 2026, right? We can't just go from round of 16 and say, hey, we're going to be a, we're a favorite to win 26 because we're hosting it. It'd be great to get to that far, but to get through that, you got to get through the uh, round of 16. you got to get through the quarters, and they're only going to get better from there. So I think it was an eye-opening experience for a lot of these young players uh, to see that level of tactic, that level of discipline, that level of game plan, and then execute it in the way that they did. But, yeah, that's my brief little... Uh, Brief little recap on that before we get further into it later in the show. HP, before we get into the show, I want to know how in soccer we trust is going, man. I mean, you must have seen some big numbers. Obviously, unfortunately, the U.S. is out now, but I'm sure the reaction has been pretty great to the pod. Yeah, it has been good. You know, throughout this World Cup, we've just continued to build that uh, community stronger and stronger. Obviously, uh, the main theme, I think, from start to finish has been Greg Berhalter out for a lot of the people that watch the show. They think that's probably the common theme. Some people started to give credit throughout the tournament to him in terms of the tactics he, he deployed to start games and then in-game management was considered, I, I think, pretty poor across the board from, from a number of our, our community members. But it was a great tournament, so to speak, and we're going to keep that thing going through the end of the tournament. We're not just going to disappear until 2026, so hopefully uh, we can do a, a larger post-mortem of the tournament and then start looking forward to, to what's next for this men's national team, including uh, potentially a manager change. Well, you know, we all uh, put our ideas in as to what we were going to call this show. And Nigel had in Nigel, we trust. And that was quickly mm-hmm. shot down because uh, nobody trusts Nigel Rio Coker. We've already <laughs> got our first comment coming in from Matt Osmond. We'll get to this a little bit later on. But he says, Berhalter, ouz! That's going to be an interesting thing to discuss. Yes, it is. All right, a little bit of quiet here. We do have some sad news uh, before we get stuck into some of the games. Unfortunate news coming out of Brazil that Brazil legend Pele has been moved to an end-of-life care facility with his body not responding to chemotherapy in his fight against cancer. We will try to keep you posted with any news. As soon as any news does break, our thoughts goes out to the magic man and his family. Uh, my father played against Pele. I have many photos with Pele and my father together. Uh, 
Um, obviously someone that we've all known for such a long time, so historically connected to the World Cup as well. But our thoughts go out and we will give you breaking news if there ever is any breaking news about Pelly, who's now been moved into the end-of-life care facility. Let's turn it back to a positive. Let's get back into Qatar 2022. Round of 16 got underway. Let's get straight into the action with a game that just wrapped up. It was Argentina against Australia. Argentina, they got the victory. It was two goals to one, Lionel Messi's 1,000th game. Got a wonderful goal. His first goal in the knockout stages at the World Cup. His ninth attempt in a knockout game. He got his first knockout goal. Julian Alvarez, second national team goal at this World Cup. Great to see him in goal scoring action, especially as it goes down to the knockout rounds. And then Goodwin, a little bit of a deflection here, eventually went as an own goal against Fernandez to make it 2-1. A bit of a consolation goal right there. But Nigel Rio Coker, I'm coming to you first because I know you have been covering South American football for a while now. This was a good performance. It wasn't the best Argentina, but they did didn't really need to be at their best to beat this Australian side. No, not at all. I think um, what makes it what Argentina have to understand uh, up will probably be the same their experience against Holland for winning that game. Teams are going to be sitting down deep. They're going to say break us down, and they're going to hit them on counter attack. I give credit to to um, Australia how they played because it wasn't your typical let's just park the bus and hope for the best and try and break out. Australia actually did try and play out. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of positives that can be taken from Australia. And if they continue to develop players like they can, add a bit more athleticism to their game, they will be a very good, well, um, well-organized team. Mm-hmm. I think for me, you always saw Argentina having too much quality. Eventually, will break this team down. And for me, Messi's goal was just simple football intelligence. He takes it inside the box, gets a shot off quick. You know what it's like when you take a quick shot before a goalkeeper can be set. And what, what I like about it, Ian, he passed it into the net. So for young kids watching and stuff, they need to understand there's different ways of scoring goal. You don't always have to hit the ball as hard as you can or try and take the lever off. It's just football intelligence. You do work on your technique, put it in. But this is messy. He's he's one of the gifted ones that we get to watch. But um, for me, I just think that Australia really did give a good go of it. I think overall, when I watched that game, I did expect Argentina to win. I still feel when you look towards the end of that game, Argentina still looks shaky. I think mm. they really look shaky and vulnerable. And I think there's other teams who could really cause Argentina some serious problem because for me, defensively, they are still questionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think um, similarly to the Netherlands, the Netherlands have looked shaky throughout the tournament at times too, but it sort of cruised through the group stages on seven points. Argentina similarly at times you see these sh- that shakiness, but they have that individual quality to never really look shook in terms of points or, or losses or overwhelming defeats. And then they go into this one. And even against uh, Australia, uh, there were times, and actually similar to, to the U.S. game, where when Australia got that, that own goal, they at least had some life in the game. You could see that there might be something. There was a belief from Australia that, hey, we might be able to do this, even though we're, it's completely against the run of play and, uh, and, and get out of there with something. Whereas the U.S. game, I thought the U.S., typically responds well to adversity when they get their goal and they kind of have that belief system. They look flat. They look deflated. They look like they couldn't figure it out from there. Whereas Australia, again, kind of seemed like they were into it or at least had a belief that they can continue going. But as as Nigel, as you mentioned, I think um, uh, Argentina have some vulnerabilities to their team. Obviously, they've got the individual quality to be able to keep them in matches and be able to keep them going in games. And 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 at any point, even against the run of play, whether they're playing well or poor or playing unbelievably, can score on you or can punish you for certain mistakes. But they don't look like the team. Um, and and I, I'd say that for a lot of the teams right now in the World Cup. And maybe we've just been spoiled with too much, too much club football for, for so long that you're seeing these well-drilled and oiled machines that are superb. And when you see a giant play against a minnow, more often than not, they, they, they can come out on top. But Argentina, if they're going to go on a run, they, they've got a difficult pathway to get there. Uh, and, and they're going to have to shore up some things and actually string together a little bit more consistent performances because you can't shut off at any point because even an Australia team can punish you. Yeah, I mean, just for me, I wanted to add to so as well, um, Alvarez. I've mentioned about him again. I said, when you play at such a high level and when you want to defend against teams, defending, good defending always starts from the front. And that work rate that that young man shows, and obviously he was rewarded for it by his goal. That is one of the reasons why Pep Guardiola brought him to Manchester City. He adds so much to that team with that work rate, that intensity, that tenacity, as well as being an actual very good finisher. He's not just up there to run around and be a pest. He actually has tremendous footballing qualities as well. And uh, that was just to show what he brings when he's playing for this Argentina side. Again, like we said, 
generally there are still questions about Argentina. I think now this next game against Holland is going to be a very tactical game. That's what's going to be the difference. You look at Van Hal, the manager, how knowledgeable and experienced he is for a football manager. He is going to make it very difficult for Argentina and find a way to make it to nullify Lionel Messi. And I think now we're going to really see how good this Argentina side is. Some great comments coming in here. Vic jumping in and saying that uh, we all expected Argentina to win, albeit not convincing. He also said the Netherlands will give them a bigger test. Matt says something pretty impressive. Um, Argentina, they still rely on Messi too much. Do they? Heath, do they rely on Messi too much? He was involved in the game a lot today, obviously, but he goes searching for the ball. And there were players today for Argentina who had 100% chances. They should have stuck the ball in the back of the net maybe four or five times in this game. Obviously, you look at Lautaro Martinez at the end of the game. He could have had two goals in this match, but at the end of the day, when Messi's on the pitch, it's hard not to want to get him the ball. He was a playmaker today. He was a goal scorer today in his 1,000th game, which is an incredible number, by the way. It's hard not to rely on him. Yeah, I fully agree. It's hard not to rely on him. And anytime he wants the ball, you, you guys have both played on teams, not necessarily with, with the Messi on your team, but with a center point on your team where it's hard to not look them off because they want it every time. They want it anywhere on the pitch. And sometimes that can disrupt the flow of, of the game. But when you have a Messi who's capable of doing that, you're going to feed him the ball and let him figure out what to do with the rest. But like you said, Lautaro Martinez had had the opportunities to go uh, to, 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 to score some goals in really good positions. Then you have um, Alvarez able to score goals. So I think that certain players are improving and getting better. But if it's going to come down to, to, to Messi, we know that he can't do it for 90 minutes every single game, week in and week out. And we know that... He's one goal off of tying Batistuta's record for the national team. So I think that's probably the next cut, sort of check mark on his list of things he wants to accomplish on top of winning a World Cup. But there is still a reliance on him because why wouldn't there be as long as he's on the field? It's no different than um, a Portugal with Ronaldo. When you have that asset, you have to play to that hand, hoping that each match he's going to be able to turn up and deliver the goods. Unfortunately, it's going to get harder and harder. When you look at the, the, the Netherlands match, they were tactically brilliant against the U.S. The U.S. has actually tactically been better than most of the teams because maybe they haven't been as good as them, but the game plan has been really strong. And even Van Hall said it after the match that the U.S. didn't make adjustments. They didn't. They weren't able to figure it out. They weren't able to solve the problems. And the Netherlands, who have traditionally gone from this total football system to, to now this uh, back five or back three to now playing a, in a deep line, wanting to counterattack, I mean, they just seem like they have a full buy-in. And if you can get that first goal against Argentina – you, you might see something very, very different. So it's it's going to be uh, a challenge for Argentina in the way that they're currently playing because I don't think they have enough players on the field playing at the Argentina level that we expect. A couple of useful stats for you here. Lionel Messi has opened the scoring in six matches at the World Cup, the joint most by any player in the competition. As I mentioned earlier on about Lionel Messi, that was him scoring his first ever knockout goal at the World Cup, which is a stat that pretty much surprised me. Nigel, I'm coming to you on Scaloni and the job that he's doing so far. Obviously, they lost against Saudi Arabia. Former teammate of you, you know him personally. Seems to be very relaxed, very composed, and very good in his team selection. He recognizes the opponent. Um, and, and to me, the job that he's doing so far with this group of players is pretty impressive. And the players seem to be really responding to him. We know they have done, obviously, in South American competition. But at the World Cup level, I still believe that there's more to come from this Argentinian side. And I'm really impressed with Scaloni. What are your thoughts? No, I'm very impressed uh, with Lionel. I think he, he's done a terrific job. And one thing that I commented uh, on him for and complimented him for is how he's got this Argentinian side united. And just like Heath was talking earlier about when Messi gets possession of the ball and he goes and gets the ball, what we used to see was players around him standing still. No one really making any movements or runs because they expected him to grab the ball and basically be Roy of the Rovers and beat five or six players and put it in the top corner. But when you look at it now, if you watch that game, when anytime Messi picks up the balls, players are now willing to run in behind, continuing their run, knowing that, Messi's going to find me. He's going to make that pass. I think that's the big difference because once he gets the ball, he's already going to have so many players trying to shut, shut him down and close his space. But he's got that willing running now that makes it easy for him to give the ball and get another angle or find another space. So that's what I feel he's done. He's made this team really united, free-flowing. And there's yes, Messi gets a lot of the ball because he is a supernatural talent. That's just normal. But it isn't overly reliant on Lionel Messi getting the ball, beating three or four players and putting the top corner because he was a provider today. And like you said, yeah. Ian, 
Argentina should have put that game to bed with the chances that they missed. Clear-cut chances. It could have been a different scoreline. But I give Lionel Scaloni great credit. I think this is going to be one of the toughest games he plays uh, coaches for now against the, the Netherlands. And when you've got such a very experienced manager going up against you, and yet when, when you look at some of the vulnerability that Argentina showed in this game, I think it's going to be a real difficult game for them against Holland. And I could actually go, I'm telling you, in the favour of the Dutch. Why would you do that? Why would you go for the Dutch in, in that tie then? What, what, what makes you say that? Because we've been, I've been saying, and we've said it a few times, like Argentina finally coming into rhythm, into their form. But then when you watch that performance today, it's hard to say that they're really coming into their form. It feels like uh, a, a, our producer made a great comment, you know, the Irish one called Des. He actually said, and it's something very true, he feels that Argentina at times get way too emotional. They get way over emotional in the games. And I think what we have to understand as well is there's a lot of pressure on these Argentinian players. We get to talk about it, we get to discuss and analyze it. But back home in Argentina, the scrutiny that these guys are facing every game, the analysis and stuff, there is a tremendous amount of pressure on these guys. So whether they're carrying that burden onto the football pitch as well, because of the history of the nation and in, in football in World Cup sense, that could be a part of it. But I still now don't think that Argentina really going to, we're not going to see that amazing Argentina performance. I think we're going to see a, a decent performance but there's going to be great vulnerability. And I just feel that the Dutch could be that team that really sends Argentina home, in my opinion. Heath, when you look at the Dutch yeah. going up against this Argentinian side, how would they approach it? How would they expect? And we saw a bit of a masterclass from Van Hal today. We'll discuss it obviously later on against the United States of America. But focusing on this game, when the Dutch go up against Argentina, how do you think that masterclass will be then taken into this approach against Argentina from him? I mean, it's tough to say. There's just so many ways. It, it, the, the thing I fear for Argentina about the Netherlands is that they have a full buy-in in the way that they're playing right now, right? This match against the U.S., they decided to attack the flanks and own the flanks, and they did that at a masterclass level. And then on top of that, for the U.S. to have been successful, they needed to win the midfield battle. They needed to win the ground game there. And they lost that battle pretty considerably across the board, whether it's pressing, passing through. And then in terms of how the Netherlands set up, forcing passes through certain lanes, denying certain passing lanes, and just forcing them to have to go over and over and over again or connect 17, 18, 19 passes to get anywhere dangerous. And as soon as they have that, they can break out on the counter. So they can press high. They've got the speed. They've got the youth to be able to do that with the Netherlands. They can sit back and, and withstand pressure and just force you to have a bad turnover here. And they're obviously, uh, I expect Argentina to be far tidier on the ball and in possession with a purpose than the U.S. were in this game. But I expected the U.S. to be better than they were in that in that context. But the tactics of, of, of the Netherlands forced the U.S. to have to do things they didn't want to do and made them uncomfortable. And that led to, to counterattacks. And it actually led to a number of players looking more nervous than I'd seen them in a long time in terms of, oh, man, I've got to slot this ball into this tight area. Are they baiting me? Do I Should I play it? Should I not? And second-guessing themselves. And if they can get Argentina into that state, it can be a pretty long game for Argentina in terms of where they're going to get their production. Of course, you still have Messi. Of course, you still have uh, Lautaro Martinez. Of course, you still have Alvarez. And you have a, a plenty of strengths and tools to, to be able to rely on. But I think what I'm seeing from, from the Netherlands is this humility to saying, that, listen, the tactics override everything that we're going to do individually. And if we can do this, and we believe in this manager who just watched uh, Netherlands with ease cruise past the United States, who... You know, many probably thought it was going to be a much more difficult uh, approach. Argentina are going to have to make adjustments. Now, whether or not they're willing to do that is going to, I think, uh, for me, is going to be the difference of, of whether or not Argentina can beat the Netherlands. If they're going to go out and say, hey, no, we're Argentina. We don't make adjustments. You make adjustments to us. You know, we play this way and we play this way only. If they don't, if they don't have that mentality of saying, hey, plan A doesn't work. We're going to go to plan B. Plan B doesn't work. We're going to sit back or whatever those changes are going to be then I think it could be a really difficult one. I agree with Nigel. They could go out in this round. Real quickly from both of you, as we say goodbye to Australia, they head home now, but they, they head home with their heads held high here. They obviously had uh, the young kid as well, Garan Kual, who came on. He's the youngest player to play in the knockout stages of a World Cup since Pele in 1958. And he had a big chance. Great save from Emmy Martinez right at the end of the game. The kid looks like a superstar, but they did themselves really proud here with their team spirit, with their passion. They go back to Australia with their heads held high, Nigel. They definitely do. And like you said, Ian, there for me, that was a world-class save by Martinez. That was a game-changing save because the kid did everything he can in the box, knows he ain't going to get time, gets a turn on in the right foot, great connection and a strike. 
but that's what you call a strong arm save by Martinez. And that is why he's so highly rated in Argentina's number one. Because any other goalkeeper, that's going in. And we're looking at a complete different scoreline. But the kid done everything well. I was very impressed with this Australia side. So impressed from start to finish. They showed a lot of, I say, but it's not easy, but grit, determination, character. And a lot of what you see from those Australian players is a representation of Australian people. And I think that is 100%. absolutely terrific to see. And I think with a bit more um, freedom in getting players to really express themselves and a bit more investment in, in really encouraging more players and young kids to play football in Australia, they can be a force to be reckoned with because they've got a great foundation there. And I think they can build on tremendously from this. Yeah, I fully agree. The only thing I would say is similarly to the U.S., they've now got academies built out. They're developing the players there. And you're starting to see a player come up at a younger age with more tools or more polished than they would have otherwise or had to leave or go abroad. And, you know, a different journey is starting to begin coming out of Australia. But the other thing I would say about that, that, that match is, unfortunately, it's going to come down to the one moment where somebody decided to wind up Messi on the sideline, pull his shirt, pull his jersey, make him mad. And then all of a sudden you draw that foul and Messi is engaged. Two minutes later, he bang, 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 and then he, he scores one on you. And that's just a reminder that, you know, little little details in these matches matter, and that's the wrong person you want to be making mad because once he woke up, and he wasn't, you know, he was somewhat passive up until that point, but once he woke up and he got his opportunities, and you could say it's all relative, but, you know, that, that's the one guy you want to let, let him let him, let him him stay dormant for a while. You know, you don't want to wind him up uh, because that's what happens to you. You find yourself on, on, on a flight home. Yeah, I think with the experience these Aussies have learned from this, they will take it to the next World Cup and they will get better. They have some real potential there. Obviously, some good youngsters coming through. I thought they mixed the experience with the passion and obviously recognizing that Aussie grit, as you mentioned, that mentality of we will not be beaten easy. You're going to have to show us your true quality to beat us. I think they head back out of the World Cup with their heads held very high and we look forward to watching them again. Uh, before we go to break, uh, probably the best comment in the first half of the show, Nigel speaking facts about the Netherlands against Argentina until the U.S. men's national team analysis starts, at least. Don't Nigel, worry, just, just be patient. <laughs> the U.S. analysis is coming. Yeah. And Vic, you're right. Yes, I am Dr. Nigel. You wait for this U.S. analysis. Mm -hmm. I'm going to break it down nice for the suburb babies. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come, uh, we will finally get stuck into the USA against Netherlands. You're watching House of Champions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits. Turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hold on, stop watching the world's best soccer stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live on Paramount+. Plus. It's soccer's ultimate annual competition, not for country, but for clubs. Sign up today for 50% off an entire year using the code all year at ParamountPlus.com slash sports. Welcome back, everyone. You're watching House of Champions. It's Ian Joy with Heath Pierce and Nigel Rio Coker. Let's get stuck into it, Heath Pierce. Netherlands beating the USA in the stages at the knockout, last 16. Netherlands getting the job done. Early goal from Memphis to Pie, followed up by Blind. Hadji Wright pulled one back in the second half with an unusual finish before Denzel Dumfries rounded things out nicely. Uh, poor goals conceded by the US, but at the end of the day, as I mentioned before, Heath Pierce, this was a very well-coached game by Louis Van Ham. 
Yeah, and it came, down, it came down to details. All the little details that you can overlook in the group stages because perhaps the team doesn't punish you or perhaps they don't have the quality of the finish. I mean, they scored the same goal twice. The cut back to the top of the box of a late runner and being able to put it away first time. I mean, these are the things that we've talked about. We bragged about our, our sixes or our double pivots being able to cover that ground and always protecting that back line. The two times they don't show up, Netherlands find that ball and they put you away. And that's the difference, again, of going from the group stages around the 16 to, to the quarterfinals. You have to be almost perfect in those situations. You look at the other end, the U.S. actually had a couple cutbacks. You know who was there? Frankie de Jong to blast the ball up out of, out of the danger area and cover that type of ground. And those types of details, I think, are all the difference. Obviously, people say it could have been a different if Pulisic scores his goal early on in the match. I still think it right. would have been a very, very long match for the U.S. considering the, the tactical shifts and their unwillingness to sort of change the way that they played or find a different way to be uh, impactful in this game. And I just look at the Netherlands, and they haven't played particularly great either. This is the first time that I saw them really come out and say, we're going to play this type of system. We're going to play it differently. We're going to keep the U.S. guessing. Let's see if they can adjust. And I think going back to when the U.S. played Saudi Arabia, when the U.S. played uh, Japan, when the U.S. played you know, some of these matches in the past where they really struggled, uh, Uruguay, to, to break these, these different systems down, it was indicative in, in, in this case that they, they didn't have a second or third or a fourth plan depending on what the circumstances were and knowing that our team's struggling to get goals. Once they got that first goal, they sat back even deeper and invited mm-hmm. more. And then from there, I could, you could just tell it was almost a lost cause. Having said that, you know, um, somewhat proud of this, proud of the way the team fought through the group stages. But if we want to be a true global giant, or if we want to say that we're a favorite to go into the 2026 World Cup or compete for the 2026 World Cup trophy, we've got a long ways to go. Well, he took some great points that I was going to mention. I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to be too hard, but he's still your Heath is right. No, no, I love, I love Heath's honesty. He's he's one of the few people that actually be very honest about it. And my thing is this: I love it. I think they've done well. I think they progressed. But the reality of it is, if you want to be the best, and I'm speaking for all three of us here, I'm sure we do it. We looked at challenging the best. We wanted to play against the best. That's why you want to be the best. So you have to hold yourself to a very high standard. We talk a lot about Pulisic. For me, that should have been a goal. Yes. If Pulisic is America's superstar, world superstar, that should have been a goal. And I'm not... Hey, Nigel, him. Nigel, real quick. I, I, I said this on In Soccer We Trust too, and I'm curious your thoughts. Did it feel at all to you like he kind of had this half, half-assed, half like, I think I'm offside type of oh, finish offside. where it was like mm-hmm. it was kind of a little casual thinking. Rarely do you find yourself in, in that point of a game, that open one-on-one with the goalkeeper that your mind immediately yeah. goes, oh, Yeah, but he, by the way, also, he, that's, a, that's a freaking great save, man. You, you, yeah. You, no, come on. It's a poor connection. You could see it. Like, he didn't yeah, seem committed to it. My thing is this, Heath. He should have put it in the back of the net because you're taught that from young. Put it in the back of the net. If it's offside, it's called habits. When I look at this game today, my analysis of the game is Van Hal showed his experience. He changed the way the Dutch played. What did they do? Let's defend from the front, but let's force them inside. Let's force them into our midfield, into that pocket where we've got more bodies around them. We win the ball back. One player you don't want the Dutch to win the ball back and have in an instant is uh, Frankie de Jong. You don't want him to have the ball. He is one of the best passers in world football. So we put you into where we're all covered, more bodies, win that ball, we can break on you quick. It was not rocket science. And I think when you can see two goals like USA did, Heath, that was tactics. Yeah. That was Louis Van Gaal saying, get to the byline. I've seen how America defend. The back four goes so far deep in line with whoever has the ball in the attacking player sense. Cutbacks, late runs into the box will get you goals. It happened twice. I know people are saying as well, oh, Tyler Adams, you need to follow your runners. You're in the World Cup. You cannot be telling players to follow runners at the World Cup, at the highest level of football. If you're yeah. telling players to follow runners, they should not be in the World Cup. And like you said, that's the part. I think for me, again, Frankie de Jong gave a, a top-class midfield performance because he was everywhere. He controlled the game, great on the ball in tight areas. And when USA did get down the line a few times and had one or two cutbacks, Frankie de Jong wasn't running back to clear the ball. He was already in the space, coming onto the ball easily. And this is what I said before, and I've said it to you, Ian, before once, when I say there's a difference between athletes and footballers. And today... We saw why the Dutch are footballers and America still relies too much on the athleticism. And that is what Luis Van Gaal exposed because the way they played, if America had a threat and number nine, a real recognized goal scorer, I don't feel the Dutch would have played that way because they know 
they're still not playing at their best. They're still slightly vulnerable. But because they know America doesn't have that threat, that's why they encourage them to say, all right, come inside, come down the heart of us. You don't yeah. have that creativity. Yeah. Listen, I think this was the best opportunity for the US to get at this Dutch side. As he pointed out earlier on, the Netherlands were not great going through the group stage. They looked pretty poor. And I thought, wow, we, we really do have a good chance here. We knew that the US didn't have that striker. They don't have that freaking killer that we know they've been lacking for a while now um, and desperately need in the future going forward. You need to find, or at least we need to find somewhere in the United States of America or around the world, someone who can be a killer around that penalty area. But the US, I think, had enough quality in the game to do more damage than they did do. Now, the goals against are what pissed me off more than anything else now you talk about the attitude and we can say tired minds people being sleeping we can talk about this right i call bs on all three goals right the first goal from my opinion heath i'd want you to really follow up on me because you've been in this position you know what it's like in big games like this especially when it comes to u.s national team when you're playing for your country with the media presence and all that bs right Adams has got to run back there. He didn't yeah. even notice. He was ball watching the whole time. He didn't even notice him running. Memphis running to the top of the box. He didn't even notice. There was no sprint getting back. It should be an automatic tuning of your brain. You're in trouble. Get back. Get yeah. gold side. Didn't do it. Sloppy. It's not For me, it's uncharacteristic of him. I've never seen him do that in this World Cup yet. So to do it in a knockout stage game was ridiculous to me and very upsetting. Then you go to the second goal. Dest was attacking, 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 attacking. Love to see that from him. But my, oh my, you cannot switch off at the back post like he switched off. His delayed reaction to close down at the top of the box when you've conceded a goal just like that was desperately disappointing. Now you go to the third goal we concede. Lack of communication. And you have to say Dumfries was there. He took an airplane an hour ago to get into that position. Nobody even saw him there. Robinson was just... Reem was just inside Mark. No, communication, decision-making. This is the World Cup, man. In the knockout stages of the World Cup, we expected better from these key players. Now, that's my rant over because I'm really proud of the boys in getting to this stage. But in big games like this, you cannot make mistakes like that. Yeah, I fully agree. And again, to, 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 to second that comment, it all comes down to these little details. And I feel like the U.S. group stage didn't prepare them enough for a better opponent, right? You, I, I go to the Dumfries goal, and it was like you were playing in a club match where you're like, ah, what's the odds this guy can pick out this pass, you know? Then you realize, oh, Daly Blinn can pick out this pass on the back post. He put it on a dime for him. And you know who can finish with the one chance they get? Dumfries can. And he did that. Same with the cutbacks. Oh, the cutback, you know, what are the, you know, uh, you know like kind of almost thinking like, eh, what's, do they have the quality to string three, four passes together to put it away? They absolutely do. And guess what? That's in the round of 16. The team that you're going to play in the quarterfinals is even better at that. The team you're going to play in the semifinals is even better at that. They're more clinical, and they will bury you if you give them a chance. And so when I think about those opportunities, I think back to the fact that we were really celebrating the idea of the identity of this team. Not a lot of changes. We went through qualifying, and we are like, you know, we could sit on here, and the three of us would be like, what's your predicted lineup? And we could have six players different. We could all be off by five players of the team that Greg Berhalter would actually put out. Then we got to yeah. the World Cup, and we actually had some consistency. Unfortunately, four matches, four matches in, we saw some fatigue. Eunice Musa looked tired. Weston McKinney yeah. looked tired. And earlier parts in the game, actually, first 10 minutes, I'll give the U.S. that. They actually looked settled in. I was like, man, we actually might be able to play with this Netherlands side. I agree. But then as soon as the going got, going got tough and the game got fast and the decisions got harder, the decisions were more often than not wrong, and that fatigue kicked in. So even when we got our, our first goal, Usually you see that come to life. The U.S. is like, okay, we believe in something. Something magical is going to happen. We're the U.S. We can fight through it. There was nothing. There was no, like, you saw no uh, ascension of energy where all of a sudden we, we felt like we were back into it. They were out of it from, from what I thought the first goal to the very end. And it's unfortunate. Having said that, you know, I don't want it to be too negative. I do think that there's a lot of things to be proud of with this young squad who had never been in a World Cup before. One player yeah. in the squad had played in a World Cup and didn't really even feature much in DeAndre Yedlin. So there's a lot to be build off of. And when you look at the dynasties or, or at least the, the, the people chasing a dynasty, so to speak, of the Belgians of the world and the, the, the Germany, Germany's of the world, two bad examples in this World Cup. But <laughs> they, they did four, six, eight, ten years of a pretty consistent crop of players and adding pieces to that. Now the U.S. has that baseline, and they can start to add players to that because I promise you there's seven or eight players right now, maybe even ten that haven't been capped, that are going to be hugely important for the World Cup in 2026. And now we need to keep building towards that. So it's a building block, unfortunate the way that we went out, but, you know, it is what it is.
Mm-hmm. No, I love what you guys are saying. I think for me though, Ian, I'll slightly disagree with you when it comes to the goals. And I'll go back to, again, football intelligence. Because for me, like I said, when I criticise the US team, it's because if you want to be the best, you have to compare yourself to be the best. Don't keep on talking about, oh, we're going to do it, we're building. No, put yourself at that level. Put yourself under that kind of pressure and expectation now in the sense of what you expect from the players. Tyler Adams, yes, didn't follow his runner. Would he do that for Leeds in the Premier League? (laughs) I guarantee he wouldn't because he knows he'll be off. And again, for me, that comes to communication. That comes for, if he can see the run and he's tired, shout yeah. out to Tim Ream, shout out to your defenders, runner on, be careful. Yeah. And your coach in England to do two things, man and the ball, man and the ball. I always say this to players, space doesn't score, the man does. And there was an actual great moment in the game when Vigil Van Dyke was running back, when US had the ball on the left-hand side, and you can see Van Dyke, he didn't go all the way to the byline to be in line yeah. with the ball. He stopped right on the edge of the six-yard box because he could see where the USA player was. So he knows if they try and clip it there, he gives himself that time to get there. That is what I feel is still missing in the US game. These guys are great athletes, but they have to take their football intelligence to another level, recognising danger, seeing how a player can score. How can he score in that sense? And that does come from coaching. That does come from coaching and holding these players to a higher accountability, saying, no, you need to do this. You want to be the best. You're going to play better teams. You're going to play top stars, who can hurt you in the blink of an eye and you have to be at that level. And some of this stuff can be done with communication to one another. They, there's so many times by just saying, runner, man on, stepping out, all those type of things big make time. the game of football so easy and such a big difference. My thing is this, Ian, last before I say, yep. if USA don't find themselves or find a way to produce a different maker and a recognized number nine, a striker where he could play great football, hold up the play, bring team higher up. I don't see any greater development for the next World Cup at home. And just because you're at home doesn't give you a right that you're going to win the World Cup. Because every year, you've seen it in Germany, you've got yep. a great bunch of talent coming through. Uruguay are going to be angry. Every single one of these nations who are a small, insignificant size compared to the US market are constantly producing superstar football players. And when you talk about one nation in particular, for me, I look at Brazil. There's a superstar kid who might be getting bought by Real Madrid named Endrick, and he's 15 years old. And if you watch this kid play at 15 years old, then this is what, I, this is what I'm saying. US players should understand, this is what you're competing against. This kid's 15, and he's playing at that level. So I just think that there has to be a bit done, and I think there has to be better coaching. I'm not blaming Greg. I'm talking about the whole mindset in the coaching in US, in encouraging these players to be a bit more free in expression their personality when it comes to being on the pitch. Two quick answers from you both here. Two separate questions. Heath, I'm going to come to you first. Greg Berhalter, situation as of now, his contract runs out after this World Cup. Where does he go from here? Well, you know, I I set the bar of getting out of the group stages, uh, but when I looked at some of the in-game management and the fact that you've got three and a half years, I'm I'm kind of torn. Part of me is like, I'm going to give myself another week to figure out What's the next step? Because what you don't want to do is bring in uh, uh, somebody. You don't want to wait two years like the U.S. did to get Berhalter, but you also don't want to bring in the next one emotionally. So I'm I'm hoping there's a game plan of a transition, right? Because I do think Greg Berhalter has progressed this group. This group has a belief and a desire that they didn't have before. They came in and experienced. You go to the Gold Cup, you go to Nations League, or Nations League, Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying, and now they've got a World Cup under their belts. That's an incredible amount of, of experience that this group has put together. But now you probably need somebody to take you to the next level. You need somebody that's going to take that on. But what you don't want is a major overhaul. Somebody to come in and say, hey, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to do all this differently. I'm going to get rid of this. The youth national teams, this and that. You need somebody who's willing to take some of that building blocks and take it to the next level. So I'm leaning towards a coaching change. But I still am trying to think about, make sure um, I, you know, I don't speak too soon in, in, in my feelings and thoughts, knowing that you, know, you could also quickly walk backwards uh, if you get that wrong. You're not ending there. Who are you bringing in then? If you're going to make a change, who's coming in? I mean, it's really hard to say because I, there was a stat that somebody threw out that that no uh, foreign manager has ever won a, a World Cup before. Um, and if that's the ambition and that's the goal, it's really important. I think somebody who understands the U.S. culture and the melting pot of that culture, being that it's a melting pot of melting pots, very different than perhaps taking over a Spain that's got a hundred and something year history of uh, the, the the style of play woven into the DNA of the people. Um, and so that makes it really limiting, right? And I and I start to look at it and say, who, who could you have? You have a Jesse Marsh. 
There, there's, there's shouts for um, Jim Curtin. There's shouts for other managers that have done really well in the U.S. And again, I'm not really sold or convinced on who that next person could be that's going to take this or, or, or be um, incrementally even better than Greg Berhalter at this point. Uh, and yeah. so I, I'm still TBD that I lean towards a European manager or a South American manager or a more diverse manager that has all of the accolades that is willing to come in with that right mindset whether they're willing to do that or not, we've seen a lot struggle at the MLS level, but the national team's different. It's mm-hmm. it's really hard to say. I mean, I I, I might tough, even tough by one. the next time I jump on here is put on a, a short list of five candidates that I believe could be the right reasons and why. Because right now there's yeah. a lot of give and take between each of them, whether you go domestic or international, and I'm just not sure what the right answer is. Just throw my name in there; it'll be all right. Let's do that, Heath, at some point. Let's get you back on, and we'll go through some of the candidates who could potentially be that man if Greg Berhalter doesn't insist of uh, leaving the, the national team. Real quickly, uh, Loisha is saying, Endrick is 16 years old. He debuted at 15 years old, and they won the Brazilian League this year. Uh, Nigel, he's correcting you right there. Nigel, real quickly, I just want your quick comment on Denzel Dumfries' performance today. I thought he was outstanding, man. Two assists, and he got his goal at the end of the game. I mean, wow, that was pretty incredible. Fantastic. Modern-day fullback. And that's my point about when, when when you look at you want to be the best, kids who are watching that game, you want kids to understand, watch that performance because that is a modern-day fullback of playing at the highest level whether you want to play in the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga. That is what you need to do week in, week out to be seen as one of the top players. It's great, great intelligence, great vision. And what more can you say? That is just the, that is it for me. That is the what you need. That is the minimum. Fantastic performance. Hey, I will say, by the way, Ian, oh. if uh, if it was if it was all happening again, we made uh, Blind and Depay look look like the guys that went to Manchester United. We were they were worth the money that they paid for them then, who didn't end up working out. We made them look very, very, very good, and they played they played phenomenally today. So if they want to go back on another right. sixty million, eighty million, hundred million, whatever it is, the Dutch have had a pen heave. What's that? Should the Dutch have had a penalty? In the first half, with the coming together of Dumfries, I mean, there was—I mean, they didn't even look. I, I, they they didn't even that, look like, at it. They just kept on. I was happy. I was just like, you know, everybody get out of the get out of the screen. You know, change the change the camera angle. There was certainly an, uh, a, a shout for that. I mean, he went he went flying over. And Stop, Heath. Stop, Heath. Nigel's just being. Uh, there was some contact. There was some contact. There was definitely a contact. It was a blatant penalty. It was a penalty. Oh, give not me a break. Here, not blatant. Here's a quick stat for you before we move on to preview some of the games that are coming up here. Denzel Dumfries, he got that one goal and two assists. So with one goal and two assists, Denzel Dumfries is one of three players to be directly involved in three plus goals in a single World Cup match for the Netherlands after Rob Rezenbrink twice in 78 and Johan Cruyff in 1974. Great wow. job there that Louis Van Hal has done. Still undefeated, 49 goals since he took over, 15 conceded and eight clean sheets. He is on fire. Uh, Nigel, real quickly before we move on to the preview, go. Just a quick one, what you and Heath were talking about, about maybe if there is a replacement for a US manager. I would say, like I say, look at other nations. Louis Van Hal is there. Who's he got next to him? Dutch legend, Edgar Davids. I think that you have to have maybe an ex-player there or players there who can connect with the players while you've got an experienced manager. I would throw in uh, Pochettino. Uh, I didn't say it, did I? Mm. Uh, I mean, I you, know, you need a player like uh, Thierry Henry to give hugs when you go out in the group stages. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Thierry so so we can hug you and say, hey, I don't know what this feels like, but, you know, I'm sure you're not feeling good right now. Pochettino is a good one. He's good with youngsters and good with yeah, developing. Pochettino show. would be potentially a good one. All right, let's move on to Sunday's preview. Obviously, looking forward to the games. It's France against Poland, England against Senegal. Nigel, we'll wait for you in just a moment, but we're going to start with France against Poland. France, a clear favorite in this game, but Poland have Lewandowski. So that means they still have a chance. Who will steal the show? And I guess, how do you expect Poland to attack this game, Nigel? This is going to be a difficult one because France are clear favorites here. They clearly have the weapons to destroy Poland. Poland were pretty poor in the group stage, especially that last game. But this might be a different approach from Poland. They're in the knockout stages. Nobody's expecting them to do anything. I can't see a defensive approach. It's knockout stages, Ian, and I can understand where you're coming from. But when I look at this French team, man, the strike force is just too much. It's it's and for me, one player that's just been sensational is Mbappe. Mbappe really has been what you call a superstar, in my opinion. Creating chances, very unselfish in his play, such a threat, knows how to play the game, when to take players on, when to draw attention to himself to release another teammate. I think this French team is very focused. I'm very surprised. I think we had rumblings and discussions that maybe the French's worst enemy could be themselves, but they are really dedicated. They're committed. 
I can't see Poland really doing anything in this. I think they're going to try their best to frustrate the French for the first half an hour of the game or so, but it's not going to last. I, I just see a French win, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I fully agree. This is one where I, I, I probably, like you guys, I thought there would be an implosion of this team. You know, every every so often when France is just capable of it, you're missing some some key players and you have the fallout of, of you know, we don't know if Mbappe is happy. I know it's club level, but a lot of those types of rumors and then Benzema's out and you just think, oh, this has got the makings of a, oh, this is a tough year and blah, 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 blah. And then all the French fans are mad for uh, uh, the next four years. But they look really good when they're good. Yes, they made nine changes from their starting team and, and they're lost to Tunisia. But when they go back to their starting lineup, I mean, they're unbelievable in the midfield. And Rabiot's playing like Zidane Zidane right now. And, really is, and yeah. then it, it's, it's incredible. And then when Dembele and Mbappe, what I've seen from this World Cup of anybody, including Canada when they were good, right? Anybody that can isolate on the wings and take on players on the wings, including the way the Netherlands did against the U.S., it's so different and so dangerous because it just provides you with uh, a, a different a different attack and a different way of looking at the game. And I think with those two tools and the, and the, and the quality of the players they have right now, I just think that France are going to be too good. And I, I even though I didn't put them on any sort of final on any list that I made, I made hundreds of them. I think they're they're starting to creep <laughs> back into my mind as, as a finalist and a potential uh, to, to, re, to, to hold down the crown for a second time in a row. Yeah, because we're all waiting for them to explode at some point here. Something's wrong with Mbappe. He's just going to light a fire in this camp here. Rafa saying that France's fifth team would beat Poland. Matt jumping in and saying Poland are garbage. France winning this, no doubt, in my mind here. Uh, let's move on to England against Senegal here. Nigel, I'll come to you once again first. Massive game for England. I mean, how do you expect them to approach this game? Recognizing and understanding that Senegal are a very good attack-minded team. They are tactically well-prepared for any opponent. So England have got to probably be at their best to beat them. England will have to be at their best to beat Senegal. And for all the listeners that we have, Ian, they always think that I'm anti-USA and all that. And I am you very, are. very <laughs> honest. This is has the potential to be a banana slip for England. England will have to be fully committed at their best to beat Senegal. I think if they go with an overly cautious approach, as we have saw against USA, they're going to open themselves and be vulnerable. The Senegalese have nothing to lose. There's tremendous amount of confidence in that dressing room. The players were absolutely sensational. They're playing right now in great form. I think, yes, they will probably present some opportunities to England, but there's a lot of belief in themselves defensively. This game could be a real banana slip for England. And I think if they're not at 100% every single player, they could be in for a shock. And again, it goes to, for me, England are at the best when they play on their front foot. When they don't overthink things, they press teams high, they try and win that ball high. He has to change the team, in my opinion. He has to make changes. I think this could be another great game for Phil Foden to start, picking up the ball in those pockets at such a fast tempo, such a great technical player. He can maybe unlock and make things happen. Big fan of Raheem Sterling, but he hasn't had a great World Cup. And you look at some other changes there. But I think the, this game will be one in that midfield. In my honest opinion, I think that midfield battle is going to be the key for this game tomorrow. Well, that's what I think is 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 the the hard part is is with Idrissa Gay out suspended, Koyate still on 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 the mend and doubtful in this match. Then you add that to Mane, it just feels like a somewhat depleted Senegal side. But again, when 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 it when it was all the talk about who do you want to match up with, when I was thinking through the lens of the U.S., Senegal quickly became the team that I did not want to face. I would have rather. Uh, uh, faced anybody else in that group, even even the Netherlands, uh, than, than have to face uh, a Senegal side who just looks so dangerous, so good, because they, they can match up with you in every way. And then it's going to come down to the day, right? On the day. If, they, if those players are motivated or if they get that swing of energy, they can beat anybody. And again, like, like uh, Nigel said, it could be a really, really, if, if England doesn't have the right approach from start to finish, it can be a tough, uh, a tough game. Even in the closing moments, the final three, four, five stoppage time, they're still in it against you if, if the score is close. And so um, I, I do think England get through on this one uh, just out of out of logic in my mind, especially in the fact that, like Nigel said, if, if Phil Foden plays, if they play a different squad than I think they played in the first couple of matches, I think they're better that way and more dangerous that way, and they're able to be a little more unlocked offensively. Um, but, man... It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a good one and a close one. By the way, I'm gonna be at that uh, that France Poland game. I'm heading out in the morning to to. Uh, oh, to, nice! Uh, out. Good so lad. I'll uh, I'll bring the binoculars and send send a report back to you guys. You know. I was just gonna say this quickly for me. Um, one thing about this game as well, Heath and, and Ian, Senegal are gonna be very hard to outrun. 
they are, I think for me, are going to be fitter than England. And the longer the game goes on, the more Senegal will grow in strength. I think that's something people should pay attention to as well. All right, let's get to some of the predictions here. Vic saying 3-1 to France. England 2-1, says Vic. Uh, France 4-0 against Poland. England, oh, Senegal 2-1, Rafa believes right there. What says you, Nigel Rio Coker? Give me your quick predictions and then you, Heath. <sighs> I'm going to go 2-1 England. France? Oh, 3-0 France. HP? I'm going to go 2-0 France. Uh, Mbappe scores both because I have him in a pool and I need him to score those goals. Um, but I'm going to go 2-0. Pretty comfortable win, but but maybe not reflected in the scoreline. And then for England, I'm going to go I'm going to go 2-1 for England. All right, let's get to our final thoughts before we get out of here. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thank you so much, everyone, for your comments as well. And um, Producer Des, go through it right now. Luis Suarez uh, putting an Instagram post out here saying it hurts a lot to say goodbye to a World Cup like this. I mean, I guess when you see the emotion from a lot of players, especially when you see big nations where we're expecting to go through to the knockout stages, getting knocked out, the tears in their eyes, the emotions that they go through, you realize what football means to people. And of course, for Luis Suarez, uh, most definitely his uh, last World Cup. Nigel, pretty, uh, pretty impressive right there. Very impressive, but I'm a bit confused in the fact of we are not respected. I don't understand where that comes from because for anyone who actually watches football, we've got a bit of He's talking about the VAR, isn't he? I mean, he's talking about video review more than anything else. Uh, whatever, man. You're not the only player to walk out of the, the World Cup like that. Get over it. <laughs> HP. Yeah, he's had a lot and he's infamous. So I love the Uruguayan people. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's sort of one of those things where it's like you, you also had plenty of time throughout that tournament to do more, to get you into a better position. And even though I don't like to say that it is true, if you come down to a moment and blame it on, on everything else, because there's been oh, some no. wild moments in this, in this world cup. Heath, you made a great point because all of the so-called top players that they've got playing in Europe didn't do nothing. And then the one player that I love watching for Flamingo, Alascaeta comes on and scores two goals, but yeah, he's yeah. not going to play because he's not probably playing in Europe. If he was playing the European side, he'll probably start him. So before you start, getting all overly emotional. Look at yourselves and your own performance before you start putting that out. Yeah, Louis, why don't you sort it out right there? You absolutely messed up my predictions. You didn't even score a goal until the match day three. So <laughs> cut out with this bullshit. Let's move on from this one, guys. Great stuff as always. Um, the uh, knockout stages are underway. The World Cup's underway. We can't thank everybody enough uh, for commenting. LOL, Suarez says Rafa. Guys, everyone out there, thank you so much for your comments. We really appreciate you. And thank you so much for listening to House of Champions. Please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. We're also available as video so subscribe to us on YouTube Nigel, HP HP, it's great to have you on our show hope you come back sometime soon travel safe enjoy that game I hope Lewandowski scores he's a plus 400 anytime goal scorer for Poland they might lose that game 5-1 and if Lewandowski scores I'm going to be rich everybody <laughs> see you then Heath, travel safe Nigel, see you soon moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.